your Bibles to John chapter 21, if you would. John chapter 21, we are on the home stretch of our verse-by-verse study in the Gospel of John. We saw last week that Thomas wasn't there in the beginning. He wasn't there in that first gathering in chapter 20, and he missed out. Remember, if you're in John, just turn a page to John 20 and look at verse 24. Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with them. And he missed out not being with them. But then eight days later, it says in verse 26, Thomas was there. And Jesus revealed himself to Thomas and knew what his skepticism was. And it's really a too bad, isn't it, that Thomas is known as doubting Thomas. Because I don't know so much it was doubt as much as it was a man of evidence. Evidence convinced him. Just like there's many people in our lives that just evidence will convince it will help them get more over the edge. We, we, in following Jesus Christ, our relationship with him is an intelligent relationship. You don't have to check your brains at the door and just leap out with blind faith. But there's much evidence. However, I have to say, it's not a relationship based on evidence. It's a relationship based on faith. Evidence will lead you to taking a step of faith in trusting God. And so Thomas missed out. And it ends, the chapter 20 does, with this final statement in verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. Amen. Now, many scholars and commentators, they see this when they turn the page to chapter 21. Excuse me. I read 21. Let me go back to chapter 20. Sorry. That is the end. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I came back from Washington, but left my brains there, I think. I came back with a great sickness, and I did not bring the rain. I mean, trust me. Did not. Don't blame me. Did some of you blame me for the gloominess? Don't. So here's the end of chapter 20. Let me get to the essence. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now many commentators and scholars say that this is the end of John and that actually chapter 21 was added later. There was just an add-on by someone. I completely disagree with that. I believe chapter 21 is just as inspired as chapter 20. And that sure, chapter, it could have ended at chapter 20. It could have ended at chapter 19, but it didn't. It ended at what I just read by mistake at the end of chapter 21. And I think there are a couple reasons that I would give to you of why chapter 21 is so necessary. The first and foremost, and probably the most important, is that chapter 21 would give validity to the ministry of Peter going forward. Because Peter is still in this phase of having to deal with his failure. He denied Jesus Christ and abandoned him in his most desperate time of need. Peter, the strong one. Peter, the leader. Peter, the one that would take the lead with those. Peter, the one that would be followed, as we'll see in a moment. People would just follow him because of his leadership. He failed greatly. And if you put the chapter together with 20, I want to show you something maybe you never saw before. Because John chapter 20 ends, John chapter 20, and, or excuse me, the Gospel of John with 20 and 21, ends 
with the focus on the God of the second chance. That's what happened with Thomas. He got what? A second chance eight days later. That's what happens with the disciples here in the beginning of chapter 21 that we're going to read today. As they go out fishing, they get a second chance. And then the next study we have as we finish up the book, Peter is re-enlisted in ministry and he gets a second chance. And because of Peter's failure, there might be those that undermine his faithfulness and validity, which would always be a discouragement, but he could always have this chapter in in his, I don't know how he did it, if he wrote it down or after the gospel was written, you know, maybe he walked around with this in his back pocket just as a reminder, hey, and we'll get to this next week, but I want you to see it ahead of time, verse 15, when, when Jesus tells him, feed my lambs, verse 16, tend my sheep, verse 17, feed my sheep. Chapter 21 is in in there not only for the lessons we learn of faith and trust, but also reminding us that God gives second chances. And we believe in the God of the second chance. Amen? Do you believe in the God of the second chance? I do. I've experienced it. I've lived through it. We've met the God of the second chance. We receive grace and mercy that we don't don't deserve. And I think when we look at our lives, wouldn't it be great if we could just start over again? Just start over at a point in time where we went off into one direction because we've all done things we wish we wouldn't have. And we've all said things that we wish we wouldn't wouldn't have said. We've all had those times where life seems to go into slow motion as our minds has figured out what to say or how to respond, and as the words are leaving our mouth, everything slows down. And you see the words leaving, and you're wishing you could pull them back, but it's too late. And we've done things we wish we wouldn't have. We've said things. We've written things or posted things or emailed things or popped a letter into the mail, which we wish we could get back. You know, We look at life at times and we wonder if there's any way to have a a do-over. If there's any way like in golf that you could just have that shot back. They call it a mulligan where you just get it back. That was a bad one and I want to start over. You know, when I put my messages together, which is most of the time I spend on my computer, is putting Bible studies together. I do it all on computer. I don't do it at hand anymore. It's been many years since I've just transferred all the way to electron. When I'm typing typing things out, if I make a mistake, I I can highlight that section of of the mistake. And once it's highlighted, I can hit the delete button and it just disappears. It's just gone. There are times when I can can highlight the whole page. I've spent, there are times when I've spent a whole day putting a message together, and as I reread it and put it together, I highlight the whole thing, and I delete it, and I start over with a blank page. And wouldn't it be nice to have a delete button in life? (laughs) I think all of us have a few years that we wish we could highlight and just delete. So, oh man, I wish those weren't a part. But, but, while on the one hand we wish we didn't experience that on the other hand you wouldn't be who you are today unless you experienced that you would have never cried out to the god of the second chance or the god of the third chance had you not experienced that had you not taken that detour had you not made that mistake had you not committed that sin and i wish life was that simple and that clean where we could just hit the delete button have a delete button for life but there isn't one there isn't one church 
So a better question to ask is not, can I have a do-over? But a better question to ask is, Pastor, can I be forgiven for the things in my past? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient and enough to forgive you of all of the sins of the past, whether you committed them as a person that didn't have faith in God or a person that did have faith in God. Can I be forgiven? Can I get a second chance in life? The answer is yes. Because let's face it, we can't change the past any more than we can unscramble an egg. And yet, hopefully, we can learn from our mistakes. And there's so much to learn. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Paul is writing back, looking back to the children of Israel, and he says, all these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. These things were written in the New King James. That's from the New Living. From the New King James, it says, these things are written for your admonition so that we might learn and be warned as the examples of the past. According to the Bible, I can be forgiven for the wrongs that I've committed. And maybe some of you, you need a second chance today. Your marriage is falling apart. Your life is in tatters. You've made some very wrong decisions that have led you down a path that you're not happy with, that the consequences are painful. Maybe you're addicted to drugs or you find yourself trapped as an alcoholic. Maybe you're involved in an immoral sexual lifestyle or you're in a gang and you're out every night in the club scene or you're hiding things or deceitful and that's the pattern of your life. Perhaps you're doing none of these things, but you just don't like the course of your life. You don't like the direction that it's being taken right now. You don't like the way your decisions have led your life. And you're thinking it's too late for me to change. And God would remind us today, it's not too late. You can change. You can hit the delete button of your life and take a change by submitting and surrendering yourself to the God of the second chance. That's what happens with Peter. Thomas gets a second chance. Peter and the disciples get a second chance. Peter in the last half of this chapter gets a second chance. And so do you and I. God is wanting us to develop a deeper relationship with him. And it's not too late. And you're not too far to get things right with the Lord. Pick up with me now in chapter 21 with all that in mind. Verse 1. After these things, which things is he referring to? The things of chapter 20. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Correct. You might want to write it down in case you forget. Sea of Galilee. And this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, who's called Didymus, it's almost like Thomas ain't going to miss anything anymore, man. He's not missing anything. And then you got Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee. Two others of his disciples were together. In verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Jesus comes to Galilee again to show himself. And in the waiting time, though, we have Jesus appearing, but we have Peter fishing. Now, understand the significance of fishing. First of all, of the 12 apostles, seven of them were fishermen. 
They just had that kind of personality that, that was useful for moving forward with the gospel and committing and surrendering to following Jesus. Fishermen have this tenacity about them. Fishermen have this patience and perseverance. They have this ability not to give up. They're they're able to, to navigate through both calm seas and stormy weather. And this was their livelihood before they gave up all to follow Jesus. This was their livelihood. So what Peter is essentially doing is going back to work. Now, he's not going back to work out of necessity. I believe he's going back to work out of, you know, just giving up and and just waiting and not sure what to do with his life. So I'm just going to go back to what I did before. That's a big, significant decision. This is more than let's go catch a few fish. It's more than that. Because Peter has already made the decision to follow Jesus with everything that he has and everything that he is. He he has cast his whole lot into following Jesus. It would be to Peter that Jesus says, among others, when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. He would say to Peter and to many others, if you desire to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It was Peter that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter that watched the miracles. It was Peter that received the multiplied fish and loaves. It was that Peter that spent three years with Jesus now concluding in his life, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And I think that anyone that has ever served God's people, especially in a commitment of spiritual leadership, especially in a commitment of pastoral calling, a pastoral calling in someone's life, that anyone that has sought to serve God's people has felt this way. Now, you may not say, let's go fishing. That may not be what comes out of your mouth. But instead, what does come out of your mouth is, I quit. I'm done. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of this type of life. I'm done. I quit. It's over. I'm going fishing. And that's where Peter is right now. You see where the disciples are, and this is after the resurrection. Why? Because the disciples have a concept of the resurrection, and they even understand that Jesus is risen from the dead because they've seen him with their own eyes. But they still don't understand what's going on. They still don't have the big picture. They're caught in the in-between of the revelation of God's will, just like we are on things in our lives. And I don't want you to miss, in verse 3, Peter says to them, he says to Thomas, to Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others, he says to them, I'm going fishing, and they said to him, we're going with you. Why Peter was a, a leader with great influence. And you know, Peter, if you're going fishing, we're following you. Here's the problem, though. Going off and wandering into areas that we don't belong affect others around us. If you want to go fishing and quit, you're probably going to influence someone else to quit. They're going to look at your life and go, you know what? If, if they can quit, then, then I'm not going to stick it out. Uh, and, and I know it's not fair. I know it's not fair to people to look at it that way. And, it, and we really shouldn't be looking at other people to, to, to give us confidence and encouragement. But let's face it, we do. And if we see someone that influences us, we see someone that we really care about, they're going to do something. We're probably going to follow them and trust them. You know, men, if you make a decision to go off in an area, your spouse, your wife's going to follow you. Your kids are going to follow you. Your friends and family are going to follow you. 
If we decide to take a little disobedient wandering, we inevitably will take others with us. As I mentioned earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, Jesus speaking, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Peter's leading, whether he wants to or not, and they go off fishing, and then it says, I have it highlighted in my Bible, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood, verse 4, on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now this is a sweet little time with Jesus. He's about 100 yards away, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. As a matter of fact, those of you going on the tour with us, this is one of our stops. One of our stops on the Sea of Galilee is an area along the sea that is traditionally known as the area where this took place. And we don't know for sure, but the geography of the area seems to fit the narrative. And what we do is we get up super early in the morning, earlier than any other day. And it's a hard day for doing that, but it's worth it because we get up super early in the morning, we drive down to the site, we get there before anybody else shows up so that it's quiet and there's no other people around. We do a quick little, we do a few little songs singing under the shade of a tree and then we release you to do devotions along the Sea of Galilee, whether you put your feet in the water or you sit on a rock or you listen. And it's one of, the, it's one of my favorite spots. This is the place in this time where it's quiet enough and it's calm enough so that Jesus is able to speak out a a whole football field away and say, hey, do you have any food? Which is another way of saying, did you catch anything? They've been fishing all night. And Jesus comes to them. They don't know who he is yet because of perhaps the distance or the morning. And he asks them, do you have any food? You got to laugh at this question because... We know what's happening here. We already have been told that they didn't catch anything, which for any fisherman is going to discourage them. But they've been fishing all night. These are professional fishermen. I wonder if they started thinking, have we lost our touch? They've been fishing all night and caught another huge net, a net that could hold hundreds of fishes. And how many did they catch? Not even a little guppy. I don't know if there are guppies in the Sea of Galilee, but whatever. Not even a little baby fish. Not nothing. Nothing. Empty, empty, empty. So get the picture. They go back. I'm going back to my old life. I don't need this. I'm not going to follow anymore. I'm going to go fishing. Let's do it. Everybody's following. All these fishermen, professional fishermen, they make their, they make their living on this. You know, you think of that show, Deadliest Catch. These guys are, man, they're tough. They know how to get things done. They know how to navigate. They know if they're not fishing here, they're going to go here, and they're not going to here. And all night, they toil and labor, and they come up with nothing. And what does Jesus tell them? Hey, did you guys catch anything? Now, this question wasn't for the knowledge of Jesus. He knows. This This is a pattern that God uses throughout the Bible, you know, coming to those that he loves and asking a question that he already knows the answer, but he wants you to answer. You, you say, Ed, where does that happen? Well, consider, consider the life of Adam right in the Garden of Eden. Adam c- commits a heinous sin that we're all still paying for ourselves to this day. 
And he and his wife commit this sin, and they understand. Their eyes are open, and now they understand, man, we're in big trouble. And what do they do? They cover up. They try to cover their nakedness up, and they try to hide in the garden. And what does God say? Adam, where are you? As if they're playing hide-and-seek, and God doesn't know. Of course he knows. He was asking the question so Adam would admit where he's at. It would come out of his lips. I think of Elijah, what we're studying on our midweek Bible study right now, going from the heights of victory at Mount Carmel, and then he's threatened by Jezebel, uh, King Ahab's wife. He's, I'm going to kill you, just like you killed those prophets. And that just sunk him, and he got discouraged, and he ran away, and he's hiding in the caves. And that's the place, you'll recall, you Bible students, where there was an earthquake, and there was a mighty wind, and there was a fire. But the Bible says God wasn't in any of that. And then it was a still, small voice. And what did that still, small voice say? Elijah, what are you doing here? It wasn't God finding out, why are you? He was saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asked him twice before and after. What are you doing here? Jesus, he asked the, the disciples here, Peter and the, those that went with him, do you guys, did you catch anything? Was it, is it worth it? Are you finding satisfaction in this decision? What's amazing is the instruction that he's given. They don't know it's Jesus. And in verse 6 it says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast. And they've caught so much that they weren't able to draw it all in. Now, I thought about this. You know, the typical boat of that day was about six to eight feet wide. Not much. And, and so here's, here's what's happening here. I, I don't know how it all went down. I think it had to be something miraculous that was holding that fish six feet from the net. The, the net was on this side. And then, you know, I've got big feet, so here's six feet. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So from here to here. So about this far. This far. This far. They were fishing all night. And the fish were just on the other side of the boat. All night. So wherever they went... The fish just stayed over here. I don't know if they were looking, ha, 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 you can't catch me, can't catch me. And then they're scrambling for some reason, for some reason. And I tend to think, the Bible doesn't give us much on this, but I tend to think they were going both sides of the, of the boat the whole night and just catching nothing. So that by the time Jesus comes here and says, why don't you try the other side? It's almost like they're like, what? I've tried the other side a thousand times, but we don't get any of that. But that's often the answer we get in counsel. You know, that's the attitude that comes up when you're in deep distress. And a pastor or a friend says, you know, why don't you try this? And your attitude is, I've already tried that. I'm, I'm done. I'm divorcing them. I'm done. So why don't you try this? No, no, I'm done. I'm out of here. You don't understand. This is how he's never going to change. Or the fisherman, no, she'll, she'll never. We'll never catch her. Never, never catch it. Never. It, it won't t- cast on their side. You're crazy. We've been here all night. How, long, how much longer do you want me to wait? How much longer do you want me to, to submit? How much longer do you want? How much longer? Listen, Jesus just comes and says, look, it's right there. Just cast your net. Just, just do what I say, Jesus says. For them, it was cast their net on the other side. And when they do, the nets are full. The nets are full. And let me just say this. To those of you that are weary of working, 
So those of you that are weary of, and tired of toiling over the situation and mentally going through so much in your mind and you're ready to quit, the Bible declares to you today, it's just six feet, that's it. It's just six feet. You're, you're going to quit and it's just six feet away. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be solved just six feet away, just six steps. I mean, six steps is not very far. It's the distance from here to here. That's it. For me, it's just a few steps. It's just a few steps. But you've been toiling all night, and you've been weary of the work. And all these fish, as we learn in a moment, 153 of them were all just six feet away at the obedience to the word of Jesus Christ. Because while your situation has encompassed your mind and the situation has blinded your eyes, the reality of the situation isn't actually the situation at all. The reality is that God is using this situation so that you might hear his voice and obey his word in relationship. Think about this for a second. Think about the toil and the weariness that is made. The situation was hard enough, but then you working and trying and striving has made it worse, has it? Not better. And yet at the word of Jesus Christ, they caught just six feet away. Guys, your breakthrough is just that close, a boat length away. You may, that, you may be that close to seeing the glory of the Lord in your marriage, the glory of the Lord with your kids, that, that great thing to happen in life that you've been praying for. It's not time to quit. It's time to cast your net on the other side. Don't throw in the towel so soon. Hang in there. Listen to the Lord and obey him. Listen as he says, cast your nets on the other side. Stop toiling along in your own strength. Stop trying to get all the advice that you possibly can collect so you think you can. No, turn your heart toward God and trust him like you did when you were first a believer, when you had no advice, when you didn't know anything in the Bible, when you didn't have any church attendance behind you, when you served no one. You know, God loved you then and he loves you now. And there's no need to toil all night with empty nets. Listen to the voice of God and obey him to get through one more day. Cast on the other side. Notice verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he removed it and plunged into the sea. I don't get Peter very much. I mean, I love the brother, but I don't get it. Usually when you jump into the sea, you're going to take off a garment. You're not going to put one on. But Peter, you know, he's so caught up in the, in the situation. He's so caught up in the faithfulness of the Lord. It's the Lord meeting me on the, on the sea in the midst of my toil, in the midst of my weariness, in the midst of my brokenness. He met me with my empty net. I thought I was a good fisherman. I'm not a good fisherman after all. I'm nothing apart from him. It's the Lord. He puts his clothes on and jumps right in. Man, 
Peter gets a bad rap. Everybody gets a bad rap. But I'll tell you what, if your story was in the Bible, we'd give you a bad rap too. And mine. Like none of us are perfect. You know, and we got to be careful of putting people down or, you know, I, I think we can laugh in the reality of Peter because we, when we laugh at Peter, we, see, we laugh at ourselves. I see Peter. I see so much of Peter in me. And so we got to be careful because, you know, we look at Peter and go, what are you doing, man? Well, he's just doing what he's always done. He, he is not thinking about himself when he sees Jesus. He just says, I'm getting out there. I got to go. I got to take off. Jesus has met me right in the midst of my toil. It says the other disciples, verse 8, came in the little boat, for they had not been far from land, about 200 cubits, which is about a football field, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. (laughs) And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is how the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is so encouraging to me because as we end this section, this at verse 14, we have Jesus still serving. It didn't, wasn't just a one-time thing uh, when he girded himself and washed their feet. Like, this was everything to him. But even then, even then, this is an amazing thought to me. And we don't have time to develop it. But maybe you could pray about it this week for your own life. While they're out in the sea, catching nothing, and Jesus gives them a command, sometime during that time, what is Jesus doing? He's already got fish, and he's cooking it up for them, and some bread. He's already got fish. He doesn't need their 153. He's already got some. And this is what it tells me, that even if they were disobedient to him and blew him off and said, you're crazy, man. We're not fishing anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. We've been here all night. Forget you. And they didn't recognize it was him until they got there. They came back with empty, even if they came back with empty nets. The graciousness of Jesus, he already had things prepared for them. Isn't that what the psalmist said? You prepare a table before my enemies, but you prepare a table for me before my enemy. Jesus is already serving them. He's already got things ready for them. It, It reminds me not only of the grace of God, but it also reminds me that God, like I'm not irreplaceable in the kingdom of God. I'm not indispensable. God doesn't need me in order to accomplish his purposes on the earth today. Graciously, he's invited me to exercise the very gifts that he's given me, but he doesn't need me. And if what's true for me is true for you, God doesn't need you and all of your resources and all of your money and all of your smarts. and He doesn't need us, but in his grace... He invites us to participate in what he's doing. Bring your fish here. And so Peter's dragging this 153 large fish. He's dragging it up. But by the time they get there, he's already cooking for them, taking care of them. He's got fish ready for them. I mean, in reality, we already know that Jesus could have taken the little fish and things that he was making for them and multiplied it. He didn't need 153 fish from them. But... Even though he didn't need it, he wanted. 
and invited. Just like he want wants us and invites us. I know it gets tiring and I know it gets hard. Life does. The cares and concerns of life weigh heavy upon us. But when Jesus says, bring the fish that he helped you to catch, and he invites you in verse 12, come and eat breakfast with me. Come and eat breakfast. And Jesus, it says, verse 13, came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. I love it. God's grace He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our talents. He doesn't need our wit. He doesn't need us to get that promotion. He doesn't need us to move. He doesn't need any of that. But he wants us. It's much greater than need. He wants. He wants to use us. He wants these things to develop a relationship with him so that we come to the end of ourselves. And at the end of ourselves is always a fresh revelation of the fullness of our relationship with God. It's at the end of ourselves that we learn. Would you turn over to Psalm 91? as I think the Lord gave it to us during that song earlier today, but can I show you Psalm 91 real quick here? Because I did what I asked you guys to do. I took, it, I took my Bible during communion, and I just read the psalm again. So let's all stand together, and let's read this psalm together like we do at the beginning. I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses, and Tyra is going to come up and read the even-numbered verses. So Tyra is going to come up, uh, and read the even-numbered verses with us. So I think we need this mic ready to go. Thank you, Tyra. Psalm 91. I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses. You're going to read the even-numbered verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckle. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So here's the rest, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, that is our prayer from the psalmist's lips to our lips as we think about your faithfulness in our lives today and how it's amazing to think that you don't need us, but you want us. And I pray for those that are on the edge today that looking at the second chance, it was the second chance, cast the net on the other side. Just do it. Do what seems impossible or improbable. 
Do it against all of what you have felt and seen. Do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And I pray that over our church family today and those listening in on the internet and listening on radio and watching this or podcasting it at some other time. God, would you enable us to do what's right no matter what we see or what we feel, no matter how much we've toiled all night and we've tried everything, Lord. We've tried everything. And your word to us is, well, cast your net on the other side. Well, I've already done that. No, cast your net on the other side. Thank you for the example of obedience that an empty net, an emptiness became full with your faithfulness. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon your church today. May we leave here encouraged and uplifted, God. May we have strength for today and hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna sing this song and I just wanted this scripture is what I wanted to read over us. Just overwhelmed by this truth. And it's all over the Bible if you look for it. All over the Bible. But this was the verse. He says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he's known my name. And just leave here today knowing that the God of all the universe, the creator of everything, the sustainer of all life, he set his love upon you. He loves you in a real, pure way. And because he set his love upon you, he'll deliver you. And he'll establish you. And he'll comfort you and encourage you. Leave here today knowing how much God does love you. Ask him to reveal to you new and fresh ways of experiencing that love. That he loves your family. And he loves your marriage. And he loves your singleness. And he loves your wayward kid. And he loves you as a wayward kid. And he's calling you back to himself, to a pureness of surrender. He doesn't want you to to, to spend so much in toil and labor. It doesn't work, does it? Just makes you tired and more weary. So that Jesus will answer that. He will say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the love of God leads to rest. And leave here resting in the sufficiency of the love of God. And if you need to give your life to Jesus today, come up and talk to one of the men up here, the pastors, men and women on the prayer team that would minister to you. They'll take the little booklet and walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. Lead you in a prayer of repentance and confession. Pray for us as we continue to serve the Lord. Pray for for us uh, as a pastoral team. We're going to be heading off for a little getaway this week to get alone, to pray together, uh, to relax together, to talk about the things of God together, uh, and, and just wait on the Lord, see what he wants to reveal to us individually and also as a group. So pray for us, uh, if you would, this week. And I didn't get any response from the foxes, um, but please, please do keep them in your prayers. Uh, encourage them. Uh, I'm going to, I don't think I have their email, but We'll figure out a way to get an email. Maybe I'll have Cassandra send out. If you're on the email list, we'll send an email out. You can click that and send them a note. Tell them you're praying for them. Um, Nothing more scarier, as some of you parents know, to have your child in the ICU. And so we want to pray for them. And it's it's not a routine thing. Uh, We need to stand in the gap for them until that boy comes home and rides his bike again. 
unto the Lord. So let's sing this unto him. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see many of you on Wednesday night as we get back into uh, our study in Kings.